or eternal blessings are not based on what our family history is. <laughs> that is based on whether or not me as an individual have accepted that free offer of redemption that came through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's it, period. There's a period on that sentence, and it's, it means it. Now we come to chapter, and I've got the wrong numbers in my book. We come to chapter 19 in the book of Ezekiel, and what we have here is, is a lamentation. And I looked up the definition of lamentation in a couple different dictionaries, and I chose this one. A lamentation is the passionate expression of grief or sorrow or weeping. Uh, and, you know, again, here in our historical context, we're about three years away from the siege starting, uh, which is going to be the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So we're still looking forward to that point, and we'll see how that comes into play here. So as we get into our study, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are aware of the promises that you made to Israel, that you would establish a kingdom through the line of David, through the line of Judah, that would last forever. And yet we see here... Uh, the, the the exiles uh, were were claiming that promise and just looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, not believing that God is going to punish the wicked for the wickedness that they've done. Despite Ezekiel's revelations to them. So here we see a lamentation in this passage and help us now to look at the words that are are given by God uh, to understand a little more fully uh, what your plan is for the people, uh, for your chosen people, the nation of Israel. Help us to study your word and, and not bring our own interpretations to it, but to look at it for what it says and what it means. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. In Ezekiel, chapter 9, I've got to figure out how I'm going to do this. Starting in verse 1, As for you, take up a lamenta lamentation for the princes of Israel, and say, What was your mother? A lioness among lions. She lay down among the young lions. She reared her cubs. When she brought up one of her cubs, he became a lion and he learned to tear his prey. He devoured men. Then nations heard about him. He was captured in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. So as, we, as we've talked before, I mean, this, this isn't a lesson in how lions behave with one another. Uh, these lions stand for something else, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about what they what they stand for. Um, and this is again a lamentation, so it's a statement of grief and grieving. Um, so let's see let's see what what it has to say. Now the lioness was a mother to the princes mentioned here in this passage. 
and we can understand the, this figurative language a little bit by looking where else the uh, the lion is is referred to. Now, um, I I believe that that the lioness here represents the nation of Israel or Jerusalem. Uh, don't need to get real particular about it, but it's not the first place in the Bible that the that the uh, nation of Israel is is compared to that of a lion or a lioness. Uh, in Genesis 49, verse 9, giant Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? So this is picturing the strength of Judah as a lion, the, the nation of Israel. Uh, Numbers 23, verse 24 Behold, a people rises like a lioness. That's again referring to Judah or Israel. And as a lion lifts itself, it will not lie down until it devours its prey. And in Numbers 24, verse 9, he couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. So the the lioness here uh, is is the nation of Israel. Uh, the lion of Judah is is a common phrase we hear. And what does when we say lion of the lion of Judah, what comes to mind? Who are we referring to with that phrase generally? Jesus Christ is referred to as the Lion of Judah. And that's in in several places, especially in Revelation 5, chapter 5. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Uh, we'll get more into that later. Now, the next question is, is in our passage that we're looking at, these first four verses, who are the cubs? Who are the, the cubs? And these are the princes of Israel. It kind of gave us the answer within the, within the uh, text. So we don't have to reach too far. But And here is the slide that I've made for you that, that kind of shows where these last kings of Judah, starting with Josiah. Uh, Josiah died and was replaced by his son Jehoiakim, who reigned for about 11 years. Actually, that's not true, <laughs> because there was another king. And I didn't put him in this slide originally because I didn't think it was very important to have a king who was only there for three months. But he's a central part of our story here, so I had to revise my chart a little bit and insert the the king who actually succeeded Josiah who was Jehoaz and he again only served for three months he was king for three months uh, but he earned a, a fairly special reputation in that three months if, if we look at verse 
verses 3 and 4, and this is referring to, to Jehoaz, who replaced Josiah, who was a righteous king. Josiah was a righteous king, and he was the last righteous king of Israel. So this king, jo Jehoaz, is the subject of verses 3 and 4. When she brought up one of her cubs, he became a lion, and he learned to tear his prey. The nations heard about him, and he was captured in their pit, and they brought him they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. And, and how do we know this is referring to uh, Jehoaz? If we turn to, to 2 Kings chapter 23, uh, verses 30, and 30 through 33, it says this, Then the people of the land took Jehoaz. This is following the death of Jos Josiah. The people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Jeho Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Ham... Ham I should have practiced this more. Hamutai, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, referring to uh, Jehoaz. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him in Riblah, in the land of Hanath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem. And he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Uh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt took Jehoaz off the throne, and it was because of his cruelty. The, the story of Chronicles is much the same, and, and he was a very cruel king, and the nations around him deposed him. Uh, they saw him as a threat to the peace and stability, such as it is in this land. Now, it, during this period of time, again, there were three major powers in the land. Uh, the Assyrians were still a factor, although they were waning in their, in their strength. Uh, the Babylonians were a major factor, and they were in the ascendancy of their strength and power and influence. And also Egypt was still a major factor in this part of the world. So these three factions, you know, saw this, saw the trouble that, that this little city of Jerusalem was was causing and, and said, we need to do something about this. This influence is not something that we can allow to stand. So the policemen of the world at that time, Egypt, came in and dethroned the leader of Jerusalem and took him captive, to, to, uh, took him to Egypt from Jerusalem. You know, now... You know, there's a, there's a war being fought over w between Russia and Ukraine because one leader thinks another leader is not good for that country and and needs to that's a situation that needs to be corrected. So this kind of thing happens. Uh, it, you know, I won't go into too many details, but even in our own country's history, we have a history of of going in where we see injustices being done. And, and that same kind of 
philosophy is what, what Egypt did in, in taking Jehoaz off the throne. Again, it only took a short time. It only took three months from Josiah's righteous kingdom to get into a position where Jehoaz took advantage of everything his father had built up, didn't follow in his father's footsteps, uh, but became an unrighteous king in the sight of God. And God didn't allow him uh, to serve for very long, just a short three months. Keep that number in mind as we go through. So Jehoaz was, was fierce and haughty and cruel, as one commentator puts it. Uh, he was taken out of, of Israel, or out of Jerusalem and taken away in captivity in Egypt. Uh, I have a point I want to make with that, but I'll hold it for later. So, you know, this, this ended Jehoaz's kingship. And he was replaced by his brother Jehoiakim. Uh, Jehoiakim was Josiah's, another one of Josiah's son. As, by the way, so was Zedekiah. They were brothers. There were four brothers uh, that were descended from Josiah that are mentioned in the Bible. And three of them actually became king. So after Jehoaz, Jehoiakim was named king. So let's go back to our passage in Ezekiel. Continue on, starting in verse 5. When she saw this, this is referring to the lioness, when Israel saw that her king had been taken away, when she saw this, she waited that her hope was lost, and she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. Now this, this illustration of the lioness lying down among the, the lions is, is an allusion to Israel becoming strong and powerful and, and being an equal among the nations, the other lions of the world. So this when, when it refers to made him a lion here in this passage, that's kind of what it's talking about, that they became powerful and influential uh, in the world. Another one of her cubs, uh, although this one is not referring to Jehoiakim. Uh, this one is referring to Jehoiachin, who was the son of Jehoiakim. So when she saw this, she waited that her long hope, that her hope was lost. She took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. And he walked about among the lions and he became a young lion. He learned to tear his prey. He devoured men. He destroyed their fortified towers and laid waste to their cities. And the land and its fullness were spoiled, were appalled because of the sound of his roaring. If we go back to our chart a little bit, I mean, we see that the reign of Jehoiakim lasted about 11 years. And when he died then, he was replaced by his son, Jehoiachin. Uh, and Jehoiachin served about three months <laughs> before he was defeated by the Babylonians and captured by the Babylonians because he had raised a rebellion against the Babylonian masters. Uh, so if, if we look at, uh, you know, and we read about this in Second Kings, 
verses, uh, chapter 23, verses 30 through 32, it says, Jehoaz, uh, that's not what it says, uh, but Jehoaz soon showed his fierce countenance as well, just like his uncle uh, Jehoaz, uh, Jehoiachin, was not a good king and, and was cruel in, in everything he did. And I've got the wrong set of notes here, but we'll continue on. Uh, so this, this there, there was a quote uh, that I found in looking through some of the commentators from a, a guy named uh, John Trapp who talked about this, this transfer of power from one bad king to another to another. And his quote says, a brat of the same breed and of no better condition. Judea changed her kings, her lords often, but not often her miseries. So they just traded one bad king for another bad king repeatedly. And this was kind of a, a pattern from, from the... Judeans, the, the Jews of that time. But going back to our, our passage, she took another one of her cubs and made him a young lion. Uh, he knew their desolate places and laid waste to her cities. Uh, for a little bit of time, Jehoiachin Chen served with great authority and power uh, and cruelty and tearing up things. Uh, he was not a good king. He was a, a an unrighteous king, and others others heard this and were affected by the noise of his roaring. It says, and in another version, so so Nebuchadnezzar, who had risen in power by this time, this is you know twelve years after after Jehoiachin or after Jehoiakim had become king. So there, so in this passage of time, Babylon had grown to be the dominant power uh, in this region of the world. So it was Nebuchadnezzar then who came and took during the second siege of Jerusalem. He'd already invaded them once and took away the, the group that included Daniel and his friends. So in the second siege then, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked the city again, took the king, Jehoiachin, took him back, back to Babylon, and he spent the rest of his life in exile in Babylon. Uh, he was held in captivity for quite a while. Uh, and you can read in, in the book of Jeremiah, it, it tells us that, that uh, yeah, that that Jehoiachin eventually was restored in favor to the powers that be. He apparently relented and, and repented of his actions somewhat, but he was not restored to Jerusalem. It, it says in, in our verses here that he, his roaring was never heard in Jerusalem again, or, or words to that effect. And eventually he was restored to a position of somewhat favor in the in the palace, he was given his allotment uh, within the palace. He was 
brought into to the palace of Nebuchadnezzar and lived there for the rest of his life. Uh, but he never did return to Jerusalem. Of course, most of the Jews in exile didn't return to Jerusalem because by that time it was, it was a desolate place. So in 2 Kings uh, 24.8, we read about Jehoiachin. And understand that there's a difference in your translations, most likely, between following Jehoiachin in in First or, or Second Kings versus Second Chronicles. In one place, it says he was eight years old uh, when he took uh, power, but in, in Second Kings 24, it says Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Nehushta, Nehushta, daughter of the, uh, another name I can't pronounce. And verse 9 says, in, in 2 Kings 24, 9 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So his father wasn't a good guy either. Uh, but we're not bound by the actions of our fathers. And we get punished for the things that we do not the things that our fathers do. And as fathers, we aren't punished for the things that our sons do in God's eyes for the, for the eternal question. Continuing on in Ezekiel 19, verses 8 and 9. Then nations set against him on every side from their provinces, and they spread their net over him. He was captured in their pit. They put him in a cage with hooks and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in hunting nets so that his voice would be heard no more on the mountains of Israel. You know, again, the nations around Israel were, were brought to action by the actions of this cruel and inhumane king and, and, and acted against him. They put him in a cage with hooks and brought him to the king of Babylon, it said. Jehoiachin was taken as a prisoner to Babylon in 587. He was not killed. And, and if you remember, as we've been studying our book, uh, the, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel dates the things that happened in his book from the captivity of Jehoiachin. He refers to uh, Babylon at this time set up Zedekiah as, as, as a king in Jerusalem, uh, but Ezekiel refers to him as a prince, not as a king. So, you know, there's this going on. <clears throat> the other thing that I kind of thought about here is that, you know, about 11 or 12 years prior to this, uh, Egypt took a king in captivity and took him back to Egypt. Now we read about Babylon taking a king and taking him back to Babylon. So here we have two enemies in the region both having a former king of Jerusalem, I always kind of wondered how that would have played out. Uh, you know, two different people uh, claiming kingship to the, to the same area, one backed by Egypt, one backed by Babylon. And that's just an aside. And I didn't go very far down that rabbit trail. So, so the the purpose that these nations around had for capturing Jehoiachin was, was his roar, the sound of his roar, his 
as it as Block says here in his discussion of this, to stop his terrifying predatory behavior on the mountains of Israel. The surrounding peoples pose as liberators of the people within this plot. And and the cage that is referred to to here, the words in, in Hebrew refer to uh, a cage that was used for a dog or a lion or or a violent animal. Uh, and this this word just so they took him in a cage. Uh, you know, he and he was carried on that long journey, not only in a cage, but in chains. And and the chain, the word for the chains here uh, could be referred to as a, as a collar, uh, that he was shackled, certainly, within this cage. Uh, these two kings in Judah uh, thought themselves to be great leaders with great power, and they took that power and, and did abominable things with it. And God shut their reins short uh, because of their disobedience to God's word. They weren't the kind of kings that that Jerusalem should have had. Uh, They weren't like their grandfather Josiah or great-grandfather and great-grandfather Josiah who was a righteous king and did right things in the sight of God. So Continuing on in Ezekiel, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard. And we're kind of shifting gears here. Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the waters. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant waters. And it stretched forth branches fit for scepters of rulers. And its height was raised above the clouds so that it was seen in its its height with the mass of branches. You know, again, this is a picture of Israel. Uh, we've seen Israel painted as a, as, a, uh, as a fruitful vine before. You know, this representation uh, kind of describes Israel as a strong and fruitful kingdom, uh, full of fruit, uh, you know, fruitful and full of, of branches. Uh, the vine again, here represents Israel itself. Uh, and it says here she had strong branches, strong branches for scepters of rulers. Uh, I know last time we talked about this picture of, of or a couple of sessions ago, we talked about a picture of a vine not not being fit for anything. But here, the picture is painted that this vine, Israel, had strong branches, suitable for scepters of rulers. It, it, it's a picture of strength. And God took this vine and planted it beside abundant waters uh, when he brought Israel into the promised land. And, and there it grew fruitful. Uh, it was a very strong, you know, she took very quickly her, her place among the nations of the world. And all of these, uh, you know, all of these images that we see are of strength, of fruitfulness, uh, you know, leading to probably the pinnacle of Israel's existence during the reigns of David and Solomon uh, when people came from all over the world to to learn, to hear uh, about the things that Israel was doing and, and see the, the magnificence of the temples and the palaces 
that they had built. So this, this is what the kingdom was. Uh, this kingdom equaled, if not excelled, the greatest neighbor kingdoms. And her kings, uh, David, Solomon, and others, exceeded all their neighbor kings in influence and power. And people came again from all over the world uh, to sit in their presence and, and experience being there. So this, this is the picture of the vine, uh, a fruitful vine. And it is continuing on in Ezekiel, uh, verse 12, but it was plucked up in fury. It was cast down to the ground. And the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branch was torn off so that it withered. And the fire consumed it. You know, there came a day when God no longer blessed the kings of Israel and her kings. Israel, the northern tribes, when they went, went after Solomon's reign, the, the nation was split in two, as we refer to, we refer to as Israel and Judah. Uh, the northern tribes went their own way and, and started to worship the pagan gods of the areas in which they'd settled. And God wiped them out, and they, he did this completely, dispersed them uh, when the Assyrians came and conquered them and carried them all away and, and assimilated them into the, the places where they were taken. So her strong branches were withered. Her influence in the world decreased. You know, the strong branches uh, were, were weakened, by by the the influences by the wind from the east it says uh dried up its fruit its strong branch was torn off so this this strong nation that god created the northern tribes that was was torn off and and, and scattered and consumed by fire so continuing on and now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from its branches. It has consumed its shoots and fruit so that there is not in it a strong branch or a scepter to rule. So now she's planted in the wilderness. When Nebuchadnezzar took the, the influential people out of, out of Jerusalem, out of, out of Israel, and took them to Babylon... Babylon was a pretty fruitful place in and of its own. So God had Nebuchadnezzar take these people and plant them in a different place uh, so, so that it would grow there. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar did that for his own benefit. Uh, he knew that, that these people were good at husbandry of the land. They could provide a lot of food. They had proven what they could do in the land of Israel. So he brought them to Babylon to, to supply food for his own house. Uh, but God had a plan for them as well. Uh, he planted them there so that they would become a remnant uh, and eventually return uh, from exile, uh, showing his mercy. Uh, he preserved that remnant, and he did that intentionally and in a, in a miraculous way, truly, so he planted them there, and after 70 years, he allowed them to return to the mountains of Israel again. Uh, you know, Babylon was 
a fruitful area. But the, you know, even though there it, there was fruitfulness in where they were planted, the the Jews of the exile didn't have time or didn't didn't enjoy it. They they always saw themselves as being exiles and and downtrodden and 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 not not where they should be, but longing to go back to Jerusalem. And it says here, uh, she had no strong branch. Uh, no strong, well, let me back up a little bit. At verse 14, it says, and fire has gone out from its branch. It has consumed its shoots and roots. So who was in this picture that we have of this vine, fire going out from its own branch, consuming its shoots and roots. Who was responsible for the destruction of that vine? It was the vine itself. So Israel's, Israel's destruction, Israel's punishment here that's coming isn't the fault of Nebuchadnezzar, wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been the fault of the Assyrians. It was her own corruption and her own bad actions that brought that fire to its own self. Uh, Israel is is being destroyed here, not by Nebuchadnezzar, although Nebuchadnezzar was an instrument, uh, but by her own disobedience and her own own evil actions uh, is what caused uh, this destruction to occur. You know, the foolish rebellion of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the king that followed uh, Jehoiachin. Uh, Zedekiah was uncle to Jehoiachin, uh, brother to Jehoiakim. And he was the man that, that Nebuchadnezzar, when he took Jehoiachin, Nebuchadnezzar set up Je- uh, Ze- uh, Zedekiah to be quote-unquote, king in Jerusalem. And he ruled there for quite a a number of years, uh, but eventually turned away from Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had signed pacts and agreements and, and, uh, you know, yes, we will serve you, yes, this. Uh, And as long as he was loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, he was left alone to pretty much do what he wanted. But he turned to Egypt and made an alliance with Egypt to try and free Jerusalem from the shackles of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He received a promise from the nation of Egypt to come and help them uh, in their rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, and that didn't work very well. Uh, That's still kind of in the future. Uh, So Zedekiah then because he set himself up against Babylon, was subject to their, to their power, their influence, and their correction. And, and the, this led to the third and final siege of Jerusalem, which, as you know, we know, we've talked about it enough, resulted in the absolute total destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the total destruction of the temple itself. And that brought an end to the reign of kings in Jerusalem. From that day on, there has not been another king of the Jews, the king in Jerusalem. There's not been another one since 586 B.C. Up till today, uh, 
but we've read different parts of the Bible, so we know how this story ends. And verse, at the, and I'm nearing the end of this chapter, and I'm going to close this pretty soon. It's going to be a short lesson today, mainly because the next part is so involved, and I didn't want to give it 15 minutes, so we'll get into that next week. But here in, the, here in this, Ezekiel 19 ends with this sentence. This is a lamentation and becomes a lamentation. Now this, you know, we talked about what is a lamentation. A lamentation is, is an expression of sorrow or regret like a, like a dirge. Uh, so this is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. Kind of an interesting wording here. And, and I've read a couple of different different versions. You know, if, if we look at, you know, the, but this is just kind of a statement saying this is a lamentation. There's been bad things that have happened to the nation of Israel up to this point in history. And if we look at our timeline again, uh, you know, we're here just, you know, three years away from that third siege. They've already gone through two sieges where elements of the the nation were were taken to captivity in Babylon. You know, the first siege uh, and the the second siege, which which ended the rule of Jehoiachin. Uh, These have already happened. The, The Israelites are in subjugation and in exile in the land of Babylon. So this this lamentation is is partially reflection of those those horrors, those bad things that have already happened. And the expression and it will be will become a lamentation is anticipating what's going to be happening just 3 short years from now and we get this date from uh from the text as well. Uh, so there, there's another version that I, uh, I don't like quoting the New Living Translation, but it, but it kind of puts it in, in words that are easier to understand. In the, in the New Living Translation, it says, this is a funeral song. All these bad things have happened, and, and the nation of Israel is dying. And it will be used in a funeral. That funeral to come is, is that, that thing that, siege that is yet to come that's going to result in the the ending of the kingdom period of of the Jews as well as the complete destruction of Jerusalem and the temple so you know this you know had had the nations of Israel followed followed God's rules God's dictates uh it would have remained a, a mighty nation among the nations and God would have brought brought fruitfulness to her if we if we think of that illustration of the fruitful vine and I'm going to bring this picture up again we've seen this uh you know that fruitful vine that's what God intended Israel to be but it's only because of her own disobedience that she was brought humbled uh and brought low this illustration of of Israel is the, is the vine uh, in Psalm 80, verses 8 through 19, says this, You removed a vine from Egypt. 
You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Israel was like a vineyard in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Let me sing now for, you, for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around and removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. And in Hosea 10.1, Israel is like a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. In Jeremiah 2, verse 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me? into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine. Ezekiel here and in other places used the image of the vine and vineyard uh, to describe Israel. And later, Jesus used the vine as an illustration uh, to illustrate the, reb uh, the, the rebellious Israel of his day. In, in Luke 20, verse 9, it says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on, to, on a journey for a long time. Again, this is Jesus using a vine to, to illustrate Israel. And he also used the, this picture of a fruitful vine uh, to picture the relationship that he had with his father. In John 15, starting in verse 1, it says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in me. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So this picture of a vine, although it represents Israel, can also represent Christ in, in, in that that abiding, that 
keeping that connection with Christ, keeping that connection with the, the with the as a branch uh, grafted into that fruitful vine. I also want to go back and revisit a little bit the the idea of the Lion of Judah, and I mentioned before uh, that the Lion of Judah is a is a term that we associate with Christ. Uh, in 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 our passage here in Ezekiel, it was it was used to represent the kings of Israel. And and Jesus is a is a predicted king of Israel. Uh, in Revelation five, Jesus uh, is described as the Lion of Judah. And and this is done in order to fulfill a promise that God made. In Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, we see this promise. You know, God promised to David that the kingdom shall endure forever. So here, let's read, starting in verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is speaking to David, uh, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, when, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And this is, again, referring to Christ. Uh, we saw that, that even Samuel's predictions came true. When the, when the kings were disobedient, he incurred God's wrath and correction. But when they followed his way, he received their blessings. Now this future king... Uh, you know, I mentioned that from 586 at the destruction of Jerusalem and, the, and the, the capture of Zedekiah, there has not been a king sitting on a throne in Jerusalem since that day. There will be another king, but there will not be another king until Jesus sits again on David's throne, the Lion of Judah. In Revelation 5, 5, we read this. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. I'm not sure I need to say much more than that. You know, next week we're going to
talk a little bit more about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, but we'll just end this here. Let's go to prayer. Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us, uh, for the promises that you have made uh, to the nation of Israel and to each one of us. We thank you for your blessings upon us. Help us to be uh, the servants that you would have us to be. Help us to, to carry out your work in this world. Help us to be instruments of your truth. Father, we look around us and we just see so many things that are happening uh, that set the table that you have predicted. And Father, we don't know how long you're going to tarry. Uh, we know that, that you tarry in order that, that all the world through your Son might be saved. And, and we are part of that. We're part of that purpose as Christians in this world. Uh, help us to reach out to those around us. Help us to hide your word in our heart that, that we can defend and be ready uh, to uh, give support to the, to the positions that we take theologically. Uh, but most importantly, uh, those things that, that you would have us to do, uh, those people that you would have us to reach out to, you would bring into our lives and give us the words that might bring them to this saving knowledge of yourself. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son who, who brought redemption for all of our sins, who paid that penalty and the suffering uh, that we so richly deserve, but your grace is so freely given that when you look at us, you see not the sins that we've committed, but you see the righteousness of your own Son. Father, we thank you for this and all that, all that is accomplished, and we look forward uh, to those coming days. Help us to look to you always for wisdom, strength, and guidance. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.